Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Point of Insanity Game Studios Geekery in General Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about one of my personal favorite topics, and that is Urban Legends. And longtime listeners to the show, you know of course that this is actually not the first time I discussed Urban Legends. I actually did an episode on Urban Legends with my friend Casey way back in episode... Oh, jeez, that was a long time ago. uh, Episode 23. I had to look at my episode list to remember how long ago that was. So for this episode, though, going to be focusing specifically on Urban Legends that are related to Dungeons & Dragons and role-playing games. So, in order to do this topic justice, to talk about urban legends, I need a co-host who who himself is legendary. And that is, of course, none other than Dan the Man from Radio Free Borderlands. How you going? How you doing today, Dan? How in the the hell am I going to live up to that? You Uh, always... You always manage to do, no matter how, you know, so you'll be fine. Uh, remember what I, I told you before we started recording. This is your show. I'm, I'm just going to be the Bobby the Brain Heen into your grill a monsoon. <laughs> well, I would uh, rather... Of, all right, get that joke, joke. I would rather have you be the, uh, you be the Jerry the King Lawler to my uh, JR. Uh, I'd rather be Bobby Heenan, I... Definitely not. Uh, definitely not. Jesse the Body Ventura. He had that. That 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 would make my throat hurt after a while. The way he talked. Yeah. Plus, he had that weird dimple thing going on his chin. Yeah, yeah. The kind of like, um, kind of like Chevy Chase. That's true. And I don't think Jerry Zabisco because that guy had no personality. <laughs> Other, like, hey guys, remember that time that I wrestled at Shea Stadium once? No, you forget. He was like. 30 glorious years of wrestling before czars and wrestling before kings and emperors. Yeah, and um, the uh, only thing people remember was that match against Bruno San Martino at Shea Stadium in 1980. I don't know. I remember seeing him at a live AWA event back when I was in about Mm -hmm. fifth or sixth grade. And I I remember that so clearly because we had like fourth row seats. And at the time, he was tag-teaming with some guy who was dressed as a ninja. And one of the things uh, that they always did to Larry during the AWA uh, years is some, when he was, you know, of course, the, you know, the, the heel, people would start chanting, Larry sucks! Larry sucks! And, you know, the people around us started chanting, Larry sucks, and he, you know, kind of looked through his, uh, you know, looked through the ropes and was yelling at at us or maybe that was a people on the other side because i remember uh we pissed off uh colonel de beers but then again he had the whole racism gimmick going on so he kind of deserved to be pissed off but anyways but you know what um with speaking of like Vern Gagne, awa if you ever get a chance um see if you can find um the espn 30 for 30 on uh rick flair it's something else is it as bad as motley Cruz the dirt because i actually was i actually watched uh the dirt with my wife last weekend and i remember you said that you read the book and your yeah, 
your opinion of it is like, you know, if you ever just want to feel like just totally like dirty, read the dirt. So the thing is, is ESPN made it. So it's going to be cleaned up a little bit. You know what I mean? Plus, and I'm surprised at this, they managed not to talk about the Yankees or the Lakers for that half hour. (laughs) well that had to be a relief i think if given a choice i would rather listen to keep in mind on espn every other word is lebron 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 lakers lakers yankees yankees celtics celtics red sox red sox yeah i i think if given a choice i'd rather listen to them talk about rick flair but anyways so we are off topic before we even begin this today's topic so first uh before i begin in brief hold on to be fair, uh, 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 gamers who like sports, that's kind of a uh, urban legend, isn't it? I think it kind of is, though. I right. know a lot yeah. of gamers I know a lot of gamers who actually like uh, professional wrestling, so that, that's still kind of on topic. But anyways, before we begin with the topic of urban legends related to D&D, just going to quickly describe what an urban legend is. Uh, urban legends are stories that get passed around first by word of mouth, but then when the internet and email became more common, then you started to see them circulate more readily over you know those particular channels. So thinking back, what would you say is probably one of you, an example of one of the first urban legends you can remember hearing? You know, I, I lump in a good amount of conspiracies in that, so going that route, it would probably be the old Paul is dead thing. Okay, Paul McCartney is dead. Okay, so yeah, that was an urban legend conspiracy. One of them that I, I mean, I already talked uh, on the casual martial artists about one of the first ones I can remember hearing, the story of, you know, the haunted house that's so scary, no one supposedly has ever gotten to the end of it. And, you know, the, the legend you know, often said that, you know, usually this, the version I heard said there were five floors and mm-hmm. for each floor you got through, you got a certain amount of money back, but urban legends can change and evolve over time. A good example, and this is a, more of a political one, but back during the George W. Bush administration, there was an email going around saying that George Bush was made an honorary member of a Native American tribe, and the tribe gave him a name that translated to Walking Eagle. However, uh, the email ends with saying that the Native American elder who gave him the name said that it actually the name actually means an old bird that's so full of crap it can no longer fly. And then, of course, a few years later, during... Uh, Obama's administration, the email goes around again, except now uh, President Obama is the one that is being made fun of. And it wouldn't surprise me if it's going around again, except this time now with uh, Trump as the the target. So, you know, like I said, urban legends, they do tend to change over time. And part of it is just because the nature of the oral transmission where, and, and even when you know, they start going around in emails, you know, people would, um, you know, make their own little additions, or sometimes they might think they remember how the legend was told, but they might mess up a detail, and then that detail gets passed around. So, 
kind of like the mud shark story. Oh, from Led Zeppelin. Yeah, I mean, when you actually hear what the what the road manager said really happened, and then you compare to what the story eventually became by the GTOs and and the other roadies, or not sorry, not roadies, groupies. These are two different things. Yeah. And I know another one of those legends about uh, Zeppelin is that they made a deal with the devil in order to become successful. And John Paul Jones was only, yeah, he, he wouldn't sign this deal. So as a result, you know, he didn't get as, you know, much attention and as much fame as the other members of the band did. But then then again, he also escaped with with less tragedy uh, happening Mm -hmm. to him. So, but we're going to be talking about Dungeons and Dragons Urban Legends in just a moment. Check out the guys over at Eclectic Media Project. They bring you podcasts such as Musically Challenged. Whose podcast is it anyway? Want to hear something interesting? And their newest podcast, page 3.14 News. Check them out on Podbean and iTunes at Eclectic Media Project. On their website at www.eclecticmediaproject.com. Check them out as they are the home with a little something for almost everyone. And we're back. So let's begin our look at some role-playing game urban legends with one of the staples of my childhood. And I don't know if it was a, a staple of yours, but remember the old D&D cartoon? Oh, hell yeah. I have the DVDs. Yep. And did you actually watch it as a kid or did you not get on that until later? Watched it as a kid. Cool cool story. If you ever get the DVDs, it comes with a little miniature 3.5 book that gives you the stats for all of the kids in venger well that's cool so what do they make venger is he primarily a wizard i don't remember and it's like it's it's one of these dvd sets that i have too far away for me to go pull without yanking my head <laughs> off ah, that's fine i believe it's i believe they have him as some sort of fiend yeah he might might be a demon okay so there was a legend going around some circles that the kids actually did get home because unfortunately the series was never finished, but there are some people that will swear that there was an episode where the kids did actually manage to get home and the series did actually end up, you know, it did have a definitive end. Now, have you ever heard that particular legend? I have. And it, I, I wonder how much of that is actually a form of, like, the Mandela effect. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Uh, yes. So why don't you go ahead and explain it in brief, though, for anyone who may not be familiar with the term. Uh, the example will, will, will explain it just fine, that there were people who believed Nelson Mandela died way before he actually did. So it's kind of one of those those things where it's like people start to misremember something. And that information becomes more prevalent than the truth. Yeah, and another example is there's people who think that uh, Shaquille O'Neal was in a movie back in the 90s uh, called, I think it was, uh, oh man, I can't remember it, but it was something with the genie. I don't think it was Shazam or Kazam or something like that. That was, uh, but wasn't that, uh, what was that guy, that comedian's name? Sinbad was in that, wasn't he? 
I, I think so. But yeah, I know that's mm-hmm. another example of the Mandela, Mandela effect. And also there's the argument, is it the Berenstein Bears or the Berenstain Bears? Yeah, that's another one I always heard too. But what the reason some people might actually have this memory is because uh, if you look back at the episodes, episode 11 in season one is called The Box. And in this one, the kids actually do get home. Uh, however, once they get back to Earth, they find out that their weapons don't work and Venger followed them. So, oh, I remember you know, that. Yeah. Yeah. So they had to pretty much go back into the realm. Otherwise, Venger would have, you know, unleashed hell on Earth. So mm-hmm. I can see how some people, after the, you know, as the years went on, you know, may have remember that episode and they, they just remember them back in the amusement part, but they may have forgot about the part where they go home. I could see that. So that was one that I know has been around for a while. And there was also another one that, because I said, unfortunately, we didn't get a definitive end to the series. So there was an urban legend going around that there was going to be a plot twist introduced on the show where it turned out that the kids died and they were actually in hell and that the dungeon master was actually the devil tormenting them. Now, have you heard, ever heard that one? No. Oh, my God. Who would produce that? Can you see a CBS producer going, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to scare the piss out of these kids. Yeah, and that's one of those ones that was that's easy enough to shoot down because uh, there's a website, CBR.com, because uh, I did an internet search on that particular legend, and the uh, guy who was one of the writers for the show, uh, let's see, what was his name? Um, Michael Reeves. So he basically had these three things to say about that whole legend about how there was supposedly this, there was going to be this plot twist of the kids going to hell and being tortured by the devil. His response, bourgeois, poppycock, and balderdash. There is no such episode, as even a moment's rational thought would reveal. D&D was a very dark, edgy show for its time, sort of the gargoyles of the 80s. And credit must go to Judy Pierce, then president of children's programming for CBS, for taking the chance on it and not playing it safe and slapping another Care Bears clone on the air instead. We took the show about as far as you could go on kids TV at the time. As an example, the script for The Dragon's Graveyard, the second season episode one I, I wrote, in which the kids contemplate killing Venger in order to find a way home, uh, caused a battle royal with broadcast standards and practices. The chances of an episode with a plot like the one described above even making it past an initial three-line pitch were, and still are, about as likely as Superman snorting kryptonite. You couldn't have made that car- cartoon today, or the late 90s. Any of the, the times when people were really trying to push the envelope, that there's no way. It would not surprise me at all if some religious group that was against D&D started that legend. Because I know there's some people that that they think that, maybe this is another legend about the show, that it was supposedly violent. And I'm sorry, anyone who's seen that show, okay, there's no way the kid that any D&D player would use the weapons the way they used them in the show. No, 
never used them to actually hurt anyone. They always used them to subdue. That's true. And I will have to say, still one of my favorite scenes that I remember from that show, because uh, I, I always liked the character Presto. His uh, shtick was that whenever he used, because he had this hat that he would use to work his magic. And usually, whenever he tried casting a spell, it always failed. One of my favorite episodes is him and Eric the Cavalier were surrounded by a bunch of undead in a swamp. And Eric goes, why don't you pull something useful out of that hat for a change? Like an aircraft carrier! And next thing you know, Eric and Presto are standing on top of an aircraft carrier and all the undead are running away. So I don't know, that one always stuck with me, but... Yeah, and that's what I didn't get. People always tried to claim that, oh, it was so violent, but yet, you know, said there, it, you look back at it, it, it really wasn't as violent as... The, the level of violence in that show was nowhere near what it would be in a normal D&D campaign. Yeah, nobody's burning down a town and taking all the loot. <laughs> that's true. The kids in the the D&D cartoon are definitely not murder hobos. Mm-hmm. Moving past the cartoon, and, you know, honestly... One of the th reasons that I can see that legend going around and why I think to some extent it is endured is that it, it to some extent it represents corruption of our childhood or something, you know, corruption of something that we always saw as a pure, fun, simple part of our childhood. Because you remember Saturday morning cartoons, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I just always miss, I mean, I feel sorry for kids today, how they don't truly have the experience of Saturday morning cartoons that we did, because, you know, back then, of course, you got, you know, you got up early, you, you know, went and, uh, you know, got your breakfast and sat and watched cartoons for four or five hours on Saturday morning. But but you you got to remember, I mean, our parents would probably say the same thing about us. Because if you have you watched the the Transformers cartoon lately, and all of the like the miscolored cells and just choppy it was. Yeah, I know. You look back in the others, uh, you know the the animation errors where you know a character's arm might be blue in one scene, which might be its normal color, but then in the next scene for two frames, it's purple. Yeah. But still, and I, I guess it's because, you know, because of Cartoon Network and now with like DVRs and stuff and shows on demand, there's not really much need for Saturday morning cartoons. But in a way, I still kind of miss those days. I dig it. Yep. So another urban legend about Dungeons and Dragons, and because on one of the Facebook groups that I'm on, and I think you're also on it too, the one for AD&D 2nd Edition, I did make yeah. a post there asking if anyone happened to have heard of any, you know, urban legends. And one of them is that people used to play D&D &D in steam tunnels and other strange, unusual places. The best part about this one is that, that there is that there are a lot of, of, of more snarky gamers who have decided to play with this one for fun. Really? Never heard of anyone actually taking it seriously. No, not, so. not, no, no, no I, I don't mean seriously like as like in, oh, they say we play in steam tunnels, let's play in steam tunnels. More like playing along with it, like, oh, yeah, we totally play in steam tunnels. Oh, yeah. It, just, just try to raz the people who actually believe it. My friend Chad, 
uh, he, when we were talking about the satanic panic on an episode, you know, he would occasionally have people, you know, they, they, in college, they'd watch him play D and D and he's like, what are you guys doing? Playing Dungeons and Dragons. And like, Oh, do you drink baby's blood? And you know, they would always respond with some smart ass answer. Like only if it's chilled. So, <laughs> but, and, and of course there was another rumor that or urban legend that playing Dungeons and Dragons or other role playing games can either drive you insane or cause you to commit suicide. Thank you, Jack. Check. Yes. And in a way, both of those urban legends. Now, of course, we know that they're they're not true. Generally, gamers, they're not going to play D&D in the steam tunnels. You know, if there are groups that do that, it's it's very rare. Uh, you know, again, there may have been an, an urban legend somewhere. And, and again, we'll get to the little bit of the truth behind this in a moment. But uh, again, I was reading on, uh, okay, forgot what, it was on N-World where someone did mention that there was a kid that did die in a steam tunnel. So that may have been one of the things that did actually contribute to that legend. And again, when in, yeah. in the case of the steam tunnels and D&D &D causing you to go insane, when those rumors started around the early, you know, like late 70s, early 80s, we really have to keep something in mind with the time. And that, of course, was back then. This is way before the Internet as we know it. So it was a lot harder to really find good information about Dungeons and Dragons, which would make it a lot easier for rumors like this to get started and to spread, and they'd be a lot harder to verify. And as we actually talked about on your show a very long time ago, the whole idea about D&D causing you to go insane or commit suicide was debunked by the Center for Disease Control. Yeah, that was something that was all conjured up by Pat Pulling and her, her private investigator. Yes, so-called expert witness on Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, can I go back to the steam tunnel thing? This yes. is part of that one that always bothered me. Okay. Presumably... What's in a steam tunnel? Uh, steam pipes. Steam. Okay. Okay. So you would imagine that you're in there. You're there's going to be at least some steam escaping in 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 these tunnels, correct? Probably. Probably. Okay. So let's go back to 1979 when this was uh, uh, first mentioned. Uh, the player's handbook was probably about ten dollars, and if you do the uh, math. For inflation, that's probably close to the fifty bucks you're paying now uh, for the fifth ed book. And and keep in mind that the first edition, this was some some pretty rough pulpy paper as opposed to the nice magazine like uh, paper in the current books. What do you think would happen to a first edition player's handbook and book in a steam tunnel? It would probably get ruined. Yes. <laughs> so but the part that boggles my mind who would do that that's a do you know how many books you'd wreck a lot mm -hmm. you know especially those old flimsy modules remember that where it had like the you know the the tag board cover and then the, the pages stapled together inside yeah those wouldn't last very long in a steam tunnel and half the time those staples start to rust anyway plus can you imagine what it'd be like trying to haul all your books and dice and miniatures down there Oh yeah, you'd lose dice, you'd lose miniatures. The miniature, <laughs> the paint would probably erect. I mean, that just sounds like a hassle. Just go in the basement. 
and I don't think the pizza delivery guy makes deliveries to the steam tunnels. No. And, and you know, if you were playing in a steam tunnel in college, you know, your beer probably wouldn't stay cold for long. That is true. So what one of the things that may have helped spark this rumor, and this is a case that both you and I have talked about in our respective podcasts, the case of James Dallas Egbert, where, uh, in brief, he was a young teenager who was incredibly smart, and he was a he graduated high school early and then went on to college uh, again at a very early age. So he was at I think was at University of Michigan, but was it Michigan uh, or Ball State? I don't remember. I don't, it was somewhere around there. But anyways, so what happened is uh, one day he had disappeared, and his parents hired a private investigator named William Deere to investigate because it was thought that he had disappeared while playing Dungeons and Dragons or some sort of live action form of it in the steam tunnels and that he, you know, he may have commit, tried to commit suicide or he may have committed suicide. Uh, and again, William Deere was, while investigating this, he was trying to figure out, okay, would D&D have played a role in it? And as I recall, he didn't think that D&D really played much of a role in his his disappearance. Uh, eventually, mm -hmm. he did phone his parents, and he was down in New Orleans, so William yeah. Deere went to, go, went to go retrieve him. And unfortunately, part, he did commit suicide uh, not long after this whole debacle went down, uh, the case did inspire the uh, book by Ronan Jaffrey called Mazes and Monsters, which was eventually turned into a very subpar movie starring a great actor, Tom Hanks. And, mm -hmm. uh, but like I said, what, see, part of the reason that uh, James was suffering some of the problems he was, he, he did, from what I've heard, he did get into alcohol and he was on drugs. So that may have, you know, that probably contributed to some of the issues he's having. Plus, he was a teenager, you know, I think like 15 in college. And I mean, when you were, you know, when you were in college, did you want to hang around with teen, with like 14, 15 year olds? I think we know the answer to that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so that probably caused uh, some problems. And I thought I heard that he he may have been homosexual and of course, during this time, during the 70s, coming out as a homosexual could be dangerous. So, what? but like I said, I'm not quite sure about that one, but I'm pretty sure that there was some, some problems with drugs and alcohol involved. And he did try to kill himself and that he disappeared after that attempt failed. Yeah. You know, there was a movie that used that situation that actually probably got it a little better. Because every time I, I heard the story about this kid, I thought about uh, the character Laszlo Hollyfeld from the movie Real Genius, who came in at a super, like, I think in the movie, he got to college, and this was like Caltech, uh, when he was 12, and he lost, kind of lost his mind, and ended up living in the steam tunnels. Hmm. Never heard that one. Uh, so yeah, that that's interesting. Well, but you never seen that movie? Oh, no, I movie. haven't. That's real. It, the only the only 
I think the only real actors that know it would be William Atherton and Val Kilmer. Hmm. Let's check that out sometime. So, and as far as its link with suicide, uh, there was a, like I said, there have been reports that, you know, there's no evidence that D and D players are any more likely to commit suicide than anyone else. And I apologize. Mm-hmm. I forgot to, uh, there was an article I did find. And again, just do a Google search on D and D and suicide. But the article was saying that D&D players were actually less likely to commit suicide because what the author of this article did is it's like, okay, he looked at the number of people who commit suicide, um, you know, per per year. And he, again, I, I do apologize. I should have copied this down so I could uh, give a better presentation on it. But, um, and he, I guess, I think he assumed that, okay, if like, this so many if this if this percentage of a population is likely to commit suicide then with gamers being whatever percentage of the population it actually becomes even less so through some you know logic or or study he found that you know he determined that gamers would probably be less likely to commit suicide and honestly to some extent, I can kind of see that. So what are your thoughts on how D&D could actually be helpful in preventing suicide? Well, obviously, it's a social game, um, allowing you to spend time with people. Um, generally speaking, isolation will cause more uh, suicidal thoughts than, than non-isolation, especially when you're around peers that are a positive influence on you. Um, furthermore, it, you know, it's easy to, it's easy to say things like, Oh, this causes suicide just because there might be some connection where this, okay, so this kid played it, but 10 times out of 10, what you're going to end up finding is, is they had other problems well before they started playing. It, you know, it's similar to the James Vance and Bear, uh, the Vance and Belknap uh, suicides. You know, there were drugs involved. There were absent parents involved. There was all sorts of stuff well before they decided to do something stupid and listen to one Judas Priest song that was a cover over and over and over again and then shoot themselves. Yep. Yeah. And, and I've always felt that way, too. It's like gaming is fun. It gives you a, a circle of friends and a you know a social circle, so it gives you people that you know you can maybe turn to in times where you need emotional support. But I think another one of the benefits, and I don't know if there's been any studies to on this or not, but since it is a form of make believe, I, I think it has the potential to help people work through their issues. When I was a kid, you know, I was you know, an overweight nerd who was picked on and stuff. And for me, D&D was an escape because it allowed me to play that big, strong warrior that I always wished I could be. So gave you and others a moment of um, catharsis. You got yes. to let some of that out. Yep. So another one of the myths about Dungeons & Dragons is there's been this long-running myth that D&D is somehow connected to the occult, real occultism, not people pretending to be wizards, casting fireball and magic missile and attacking the dark and, you know, casting flying spells. 
Nothing like that. That sounds more like LARP. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it had a connection to real occultists and Satanists. So there was one rumor that, and I found, I read about this on the Escapist website, the original authors of D&D supposedly consulted real occultists to make sure the rituals in their book were authentic. So they referred to a gentleman by the name of William Schoenblen, or Schoenbelen, not sure how that last name's pronounced, an ex-Satanist turned Christian, in an article called Straight Talk on D&D, he claimed, <laughs> and I quote here, I was a witch high priest, Alexandrian tradition, during the period 1973 to 1984. During some of that period, 1976 to 1980, I was also involved in hardcore Satanism. We studied our and practiced and trained more than 170 people in the craft. Our covendom was in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, just a short drive away from the world headquarters of TSR, the company which makes Dungeons & Dragons, in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. In the late 1970s, a couple of the game writers actually came to my wife and I as prominent sorcerers in the community. They wanted to make certain the rituals were authentic. For the most part, they are. These two guys sat in our living room and took copious notes from us on how to make sure the rituals were truly right from the book. The meaning that they actually came from magic grimoires or workbooks. They seemed satisfied with that, what they got, and left us thankfully. So, again, this is a guy who not only claims to be an ex-Satanist and an ex-Pagan high priest, but also an ex-vampire, and also believes that Cthulhu and the Necronomicon are real. I think we found out where the 70s got rid of all their quaaludes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. And and again, I think that's pretty easy to debunk because, okay, in every D&D &D book I've read, I don't think I've ever seen anything where it actually describes a ritual in great detail. I mean, you know, there's in some of the rule variants, there's spell components, but it's nothing like, okay, you have to, you know, set up an altar in the West and then cast your magic circle and then put a, you know, a clay pot with a rose in it in the East. And then in the South, you have to burn a, you know, a piece of oak that was struck by lightning in a storm on the third Tuesday of June. No, nothing like that. If, if, if nerds had the ability to cast magic missile in real life, don't you think they'd do it? <laughs> yes. If, if we, you know, back in high school, if we could actually cast magic missile, Dan, I know both of us can think of a few guys who probably would have been hit by a few magic missiles. Are you kidding? It would have been great to accidentally knock down a particular room during like some class you just don't want to go to. Where do you cast magic missile? On the ceiling tiles. <laughs> yeah, it's like, and again, as I mentioned before, there were these jerks that would sometimes make fun of us in high school. Hey, Al, I beat Dungeons and Dragons. I had 97,000 hit points and an AC of 2,437. Yeah, whatever. But honestly, when you get people like this, uh, this William guy, 
I seriously wonder if there's some underlying mental illness there where they're just looking for attention. Because, again, doesn't it seem like just the perfect guy you would see on a televangelist program? You know, this guy who was supposedly a Satanist and a witch, and then he found Jesus, and that made everything all better. Of course, he's probably got three screws loose. He He's looking not just for attention. He's looking for the chance to feel self-righteous, to feel like he's got some sort of a special, uh, I hate to say power, but in a way it was. Here, I get to tell these ministers how they're going to put me on TV, and now I have the power to convince people of things. Yeah, and maybe make a little extra money in appearance fees. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, the article from The Escapist also mentioned a a work called A Christian Response to D&D by Peter Lightheart and George Grant. They say that the game is anti-Semitic and that it glorifies Nazis. Now, do you wonder why, how they came to this conclusion? Uh, considering I can't, I can't grasp it at anything that would even remotely resemble any of that. No, no, I can't. No, I'm curious now. They mention that the Dungeon Master's Guide lists Hitler among historical characters who exhibited true D&D charisma. Now, here is the, the line that they're taking out of context here. Or here here's, here's what they wrote in the correct context. All right. Many persons have the sad misconception that charisma is merely physical attractiveness. This error is obvious to any person who considers the subject of perceptiveness. Yeah, perceptive, perceptiveness, yeah. Charisma is a combination of physical appearance, persuasiveness, and personal magnetism. True charisma becomes evident when one considers such historical examples as Julius Caesar, Napoleon Bonaparte, and, or is it Bonaparte? I, I don't know how that's pronounced, but Napoleon, and Adolf Hitler. Obviously, these individuals did not have an 18 score on physical beauty. So honestly, that sounds like something that probably would have been put in one of the earlier versions of D&D. So again, they're just using Hitler there as an example of how someone can be charismatic and, you know, well-respected and well, you know, looked upon in their society, even if they don't match what we consider, you know, physical beauty. Yeah, there's no... There was no subjective statement in there saying that these people are great. All it said was these people had the basically what they're saying is these are people who had the tools that they could use to manipulate people. There was no icarama. Now, the people who wrote that also claimed that Jesus was in the game and that he had stats in one of the books. So they said. Not only are gods, devils, and demons treated as fantasy, Jesus himself is included as one of the deities. Note the careful logic here. It's just a game. The monsters aren't real. The magical powers aren't real. The gods aren't real. Jesus is one of the gods. Christ is reduced to the level of fantastic monsters, halflings, dwarves, and elves. We can give this no less a label than blasphemy. Ah, so they finally managed to get the secular humanism part 
<laughs> but, you know, and, and I guess I look at that and it's like, okay, first of all, I don't know about you, but I've never seen any, I've never seen Jesus in any D&D product. Now, granted, no. in some of the earlier books, there was artwork that did depict characters with like a cross on their shield. And there's probably older images out there of like maybe clerics holding a cross to turn undead. But I see, I wonder if the reason this got started is because as we know in the first and second edition monster manuals, they did have devils in there. So they probably assumed that if the game designers put the devil, put, you know, devils and, and demons from, you know, history and literature in there, they probably obviously put Jesus in there somewhere as well. Well, there were no demons and devils. Te I mean, technically, they were they were they changed the names, but not in second. They had those the other terms, the Batizu and Tanari, because they yeah. wanted that out of there because of what James Ward referred to as angry mother syndrome. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I will also say that um, I own the the 40th anniversary reprints of the original box game and it included the gods demigods and heroes booklet and no no he no jesus isn't is not in that book yeah and and i guess one of the things that boggles my mind is how you know that part of the quote they're saying that you know the you know that saying that jesus isn't there that it's blasphemy you know, there are people nowadays that do worship gods like Odin and Zeus and, you know, Thor and all that. You never seem to hear them complain about their gods being listed in D&D. &D. Do you remember, it was, I think it was in the first season of Family Guy when uh, they had the Christmas special and there was some guy going, they can't say that about our religion. I have to do something. Bob, Bob, there's nothing you can do. Oh, well, then I guess I'll just have to learn to develop a sense of humor. <laughs> That's good. No, I, I, I remember with Family Guy, and I think it was maybe the first season, but they had that in the their Christmas episode. They had little bits of this cartoon, Kiss Save Santa. That was that was the one, yeah. Yeah, and it's like Santa was trapped in a nest of pterodactyls, and they're like, I know, everyone knows that pterodactyls can't stand an open E chord, and then it's like one of them plays his guitar and drives the pterodactyls off. So, but yeah, and that's one of those things where it's like, okay, for starters, I'm pretty sure that most of the people who wrote D&D &D in the early days, as well as most of the people who've been involved in D&D &D since, are some form of Christian. I mean, we know Gary Gygax was a Jehovah's Witness. And, you know, what did he say? He he didn't believe in magic. Or he was like, if I really could cast spells, I'd be ru ruling the world, not publishing some stupid game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think yeah. Arnest was, was like a Methodist or something like that. Yeah, so the, again, this whole idea that they put D&D, &D, or that they put Jesus in D&D, &D, just absurd, absurd. I mean... The closest they came to that is, I said, I know I've seen some artwork in the earlier books where someone has a cross on a shield. That's yeah. about it. Uh, yeah, and I, I think in the second edition player's handbook, they used like the Knights Templar and, and, and things like that as examples for some of the classes. That, that's about it. Yeah. And, and also, I think in the Monster Manual under the... The, or maybe it's in the basic one, but I know on at least one of the descriptions of vampires I've seen, 
they do mention that a cross will keep a vampire away. But yeah, that's about the closest they've come to bringing Christianity into a non-historical D&D. Uh, because yeah, if you... That, excluding like Charlemagne's heroes and all of that. Yeah, yeah and because yeah, you look at some of the you know some of the historical reference supplements they do talk about christianity in there but then again we have to keep in mind that's historical context our mm -hmm. earth you know the world that we know you know we're not talking about you know the forgotten realms or dragonlance or greyhawk or any of those worlds yeah i mean they even came with like maps of europe and stuff yeah most of the urban legends I've heard about role-playing games have to do with D&D. And I mm -hmm. think probably the reason for that is just because it's been around the longest of the the role -play, of the major role-playing games. Uh, and it also has become one of the most famous, so it tends to attract the most attention. Now, again, when I was asking people on the D&D 2nd Edition Facebook group if they've heard any, I think there were a couple of people that did mention that that World of Darkness players got a little bit of a bad rap for a while where people thought they were taking this vampire thing too far and they actually started to think they were vampires and started to act like, you know, vampires. So I personally have never heard of any situations like that. I haven't. Yeah. Now, the only other one I could find about a non-D&D role-playing game had to do with Steve Jackson games. And as I recall, you said you heard about this as well? I did. I did. This is the Illuminati story, right? Uh, it's not really necessary. It's not about the Illuminati role-playing game. But one of the legends is that Steve Jackson games was raided by the FBI as a part of Project Sun Devil. And it's because they thought that the cyberpunk RPG was a hacker's manual because again around this time which i think was like the late 80s uh you know there was this concern about hackers getting into systems and messing things up well of course that's still a concern nowadays as well but uh only now that's only partly true uh the this is information is actually from steve jackson's website they do have an entire page dedicated to some of the the misconceptions about the case which was last updated which was last updated in 1994 but one of the comments they and this is again directly from Steve Jackson's website one of the myths is that the raid was after the GURPS cyberpunk their response no it wasn't the secret service again not the FBI that's usually most people say it was the FBI but the secret service suspected one of our staffers of wrongdoing using his computer at home they had nothing connecting his alleged misdeeds with our office, but they raided us anyway and took a lot of things. One of the things they took was the GURPS cyberpunk manuscript. Their agents were very critical of it, and on March 2nd in their office, one of them called it a handbook for computer crime. Since their warrant was sealed, they wouldn't comment. Our best guess was that they were trying to suppress the book. They did suppress it, but apparently it was through bureaucratic inertia and stonewalling rather than because it was a target of the raid. So they did have an employee named Lord Blankenship who was a hacker and who was part of a group called the Legion of Doom. 
Now, here's where the Illuminati may have got worked into it. Again, just reading some of the other stuff about this, apparently there was some, there were hackers that would hang out on the Illuminati chat board. But again, this was a chat board, I guess, more to discuss the Illuminati role-playing game as opposed to actually, I mean, I don't know if they actually talked about hacking or not, but since one of the agents would later say that the cyberpunk book was a hacker's handbook, that's probably how the whole thing started about how they assumed that, you know, the, the reason for the raid is because they thought they were creating a hacker's handbook with that role-playing game. Also, it was not a part of Project Sun Devil. It was an entirely different thing. Now, as far as that Blankenship guy, I wasn't able to find anything as if he was really guilty of some of the crimes and some of the misdeeds that were attributed to him. But yeah, that's pretty much what happened. The, the Secret Service thought that one of their employees was guilty of something, so they raided their office. Okay. You know, I never really looked that far into that one, so that's cool. Yeah, and, and then again, neither of us have played the Cyberpunk RPG. Uh, well, the Cyberpunk that... RPG itself, that was Artel Sorian. And there's another... Um, not or that GURPS, I think of GURPS, it. you're right. Uh, GURPS. GURPS Cyberpunk, so... Yeah, um, but that brings up another urban legend. I, okay. I don't know if you know about this one. Uh, the story that supposedly Artel Sorian uh, received a trademark for the word Cyberpunk... That I never heard that one. Um, where'd you hear that one? Just word of mouth, or that's yeah, that's one of those word of mouth ones that goes around. You can't call something cyberpunk because Telsorian owns the rights to it. It's not entirely true. If you remember, like the game was, was it like Cyberpunk twenty twenty or cyber? Yeah, you know what I mean. That was what he was trademarked, not just the word cyberpunk, um, because like there was a row about it with uh, who made. Who made that game? The the people who made Witcher 3 made a game, was it Cyberpunk 2077? I don't know, something like that. I, I don't know a lot about it because I've never played Witcher, but I know that there that this came up even recently. Yeah, and actually that reminded me, of, when you mentioned Trademark, that reminds me of another urban legend, non-D&D. Though this one does have to do with TSR. I know this there one. Was, yep, the legend, the rumor that or the urban legend that TSR tried to copyright the name Nazi. And the truth behind that one is, well, TSR made a, a game, role-playing game, and I used air quotes there, about Indiana Jones. And the mm -hmm. reason that most people don't truly consider it a role-playing game is because they only had stats in there for, like, the main characters. It didn't tell you how to actually make a character. And... Mm -hmm play as like indie or short round or something yeah and they had these little cardboard figures you know you just cut them out and then fold them so they form a triangle and by the names there was a little trademark now that's obviously that's understandable for like marion and indie and short round because those are you know characters intellectual property but there's one that's just generically labeled nazi and has a tm next to it so, again, that made people think that TSR tried to copyright not the name Nazi. Now, in reality, that was actually uh, Steven Spielberg's idea because his company, they were the one that considered that wanted to make sure everything was trademarked. 
So mm-hmm. they insisted that they put trademark by the Nazi, even though, you know, again, it's like, it's like saying, I'm going to copyright the, you know, so, okay, now anytime out there, anyone who uh, uses, you know, the, you now owe me royalties. <laughs> that reminds me of that old story that was going around back in the 80s. 80s that supposedly Gene Simmons tried to copyright the dollar sign for because of like the Simmons records or something stupid like that. I mean, really, I mean, I could see Gene Simmons doing some really stupid, ridiculous things, but I can't see him going even that far. And that's also also another thing related to that game is uh, there's an award that's given out the Dana Jones Award for Excellence in Gaming. And the reason that came about is, let's see, I'm just looking it up. Okay, so the pyramid contains the burnt remains of the last unsold copies of the Indiana Jones role-playing game. And for one of the pieces, all that is legible is the title, Deanna Jones. Hence why they call it the Diana Jones. (laughs) Trophy also contains a counter that reads Nazi from the game. While the trademark claims... While the trademark claim was present at Lucasfilm, okay, not Steven Spielberg, Lucasfilm's insistence, it led to rumors that TSR tried to trademark the term. Well, TSR, okay, they did do a few stupid things, and they were a little uh, copyright crazy. They didn't try to copyright the word Nazi. No. Uh, People give TSR their business end way more credit than it deserves <laughs> so dan hmm. if people want to find you not being a nazi and not being a copyright nazi and being an all-around swell guy where can are they... you getting to where can they find you when you're not a Nazi? i've never been a nazi Jeez, i don't even know how to goose step okay where can they find you <laughs> not sorry <laughs> yes i've known Okay, audience, you know this. I've known Dan for a very long time. He's not a Nazi. So, Dan, if people want to find you not being a Nazi and not being a copy... (laughs) I'm trying to tell people you're not a Nazi and asking you to tell them where they can find you. You can go and you can look up Radio Free Borderlands on Google and you will find everything you need to know. Or or iTunes or, you know, whatever podcatcher you, you use. Yes. So I'd like to thank you for joining. <laughs> uh, it's it's late at night now, isn't it? Uh, next thing you know, he's going to be like my my good friend, the thuggy cultist. Uh, really? We're going to go down that route now. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Oh. What was, I don't even remember what Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was about. I didn't. I, I, have, the, I have the Blu-ray here. I never actually sat down to watch it. Mainly okay, because you... I the Blu-rays for the other, other three movies. Dan, you got to you got to imagine that Giorgio guy with the really weird, weird hair. I can tell you what Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is about. Aliens. Um. Well, I mean, I always knew that at least part of the film had something to do with making people really angry about Shia LaBeouf again. <laughs> As if the Transformers movie wasn't enough. I don't know why the internet rage machine has such a hard on for that guy. Yeah, I don't know either. So, as I said, 
If you want to find Dan being an all-around swell guy, look up Radio Free Borderlands and you'll find him being an all-around swell guy and not being a Nazi or a thuggy. You're making it sound like I have a gun to your head. I'm not even (laughs) in the same city as you right now. We're doing this over the magic of the Internet. Yes, the magic of the Internet. So It's a series of tubes. (laughs) So I'd like to thank everyone for joining us today and hope you enjoyed the show. Hopefully, uh, you know, if you've heard of any of these urban legends and hopefully this sheds some light on some of them. And, uh, hey, if there's a role-playing game urban legend that we missed and you'd like to drop us a line, you can email me at poigamestudio at gmail.com. And if you do bring up an, a gaming urban legend that we forgot to talk about today, I'll try to remember to address to just mention it in a future episode. So... With that said, I'd like to thank you all for tuning in and have a good evening or morning or afternoon, whatever it is, wherever you are, and happy gaming. You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook. And follow us on Twitter at POI Game Studio.